0: I walk forty seven miles of Bob wire. I got a couple of sniff for time. I brand new house on the roadside, and it's a made out of rattlesnake
1: pad. Welcome to another episode of Major League Absurdity, a show focused on the lighter side of sports. My name is Craig Lineberry, and with me as always is Justin Miller. Hello again. Justin, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How about you, Craig? Oh, it's going all right. I had a pretty busy week this week, big yeah. weekend yeah. for the uh, upcoming nuptials, so uh, glad we could fit in this episode today, because after this, I'm going to be <laughs> running, running, running. Yeah,
2: it's going to be pretty busy with all the family coming. Yeah. Out. Pretty
1: exciting stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I guess we'll get right to it today. Uh, got a lot to uh, talk about. Uh, we're going to lead off with some of the, the, the heavy hitters that we, uh, uh, um, here with the playoffs and the NBA and the NHL. A lot and, going uh, on with that. What's that?
2: A lot going on with that. Yeah, There's, a lot going uh, on. Yeah, last night, it's been frustrating watching these NBA playoffs because you have one night of amazing basketball because you got Clippers Thunder and then you have Pacers Wizards one night and then you go to Spurs Blazers and Heat Nets the next and those series have just been awful. Yeah. I mean, nothing has been happening in those series. I mean, they both ended 4-1. That just says everything you need to know right there. Yeah.
1: The, I mean, at least the Heat Nets, you can see some slabs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And
2: and as you would expect, I was watching the game last night, and it's about six, seven minutes into the first quarter, and the seats nearest the court are still, like, two-thirds empty. You know? Like, her, yeah, really? it's like 745 at night. Like, okay, I get it. Sometimes this happens. L.A. Dodgers are obviously most notorious for this. They're like fourth-inning fans that finally, by the fourth inning, they have some semblance of a crowd there. But, yeah, I mean, that's just Miami in a nutshell, you know. I mean, obviously there wasn't traffic slowing them down from the Marlins game, so, you know, I don't know what (laughs) was taking them so long. Um, But, yeah, I mean, in this game, so one thing that we we both thought was pretty interesting was something that happened near the end of this game that mirrors something that happened in the Thunder Clippers game. So... For those of you that didn't see it, probably a lot of you did by this point, but um, there was an inbounds pass from the Nets. Paul Pierce got it kind of dribbling around, and all of a sudden he gets hit on the hand, and ball flies out of his hand out of bounds. Ball is initially called to the heat, but then it gets overturned back to the Nets after after review on the sideline by the referees, which is similar to a play that happened... The night before with the Thunder Clippers, it was Reggie Jackson. Reggie
1: Jackson. Reggie Jackson's
2: got the ball. Matt Barnes comes across, hits him across the hand. Ball goes flying out. They end up calling it Thunder Ball, and it was a major controversial call. Right. So one thing I noticed that's a similarity in both of these, though, is that actually both situations it was a foul. Mm -hmm. And the refs can't go back, look at it, and then call a foul. But they clearly called the opposite of what happened with the ball. I mean – If you can look at a screen and you can honestly tell me that Paul Pierce didn't bat that ball out of bounds at the end, then, I mean, I don't know what you're seeing, but I didn't. Let's just put it that way. So it seems like whether it's something that the league has passed on to these referees or something they've decided to do on their own, It seems like they're going rogue. They're just kind of like, "Eh, "We'll just, we'll figure it out," you know. Like, "Eh, "We (laughs) kind of missed that foul, so we'll just, we'll call it the Nets' direction and hope for the best." Yeah, I mean, last night was interesting
1: because our boy Joey Crawford was there. Oh God! So you know, obviously something weird was going to happen, but (laughs) he wasn't there for the Thunder Clippers one. I think the uh, the the Thunder Clippers uh, situation was a little bit more interesting because the Thunder at that point were down about seven. Yeah. Uh, whereas the Nets heat was still
2: within two. Yeah, and it was like I mean thirteen seconds left in the game, so yeah. that call, that is a game changing call yeah. right there because, you know, if if the Nets don't get if the Nets don't get the ball back right there, there's a good chance that they are definitely going to lose the game. Obviously they ended up losing anyway, which I mean, that's a whole different situation. Yeah. That, yeah. that seems was awful. To, yeah, seems to speak to just poor ju- ju- planning. Justin
1: and I saw two different games. I unfortunately was Uh, still working while I was watching it, so I was half watching it. And I watched that last couple seconds. I was like, holy crap, the Heat are actually playing defense. Yeah,
2: Like, they were hustling out there. And my point was, I think that the Nets just had awful planning on offense during that timeout. Because in the first throw-in, it was very clear. I mean, anybody in the entire arena, anyone watching could tell that Jason Kidd must have said in the timeout, Paul Pierce is going to take this shot. Mm -hmm. Because Paul Pierce got the ball almost immediately and did not seem keen on giving it up. Right. But he had no ch- I mean, his back was to the basket. He's falling out of bounds, and he has no idea what to do. Then, when they finally do get the ball back in, they clearly said, give it to Joe Johnson now, because Joe Johnson was on fire last night. And then he's dribbling around like an idiot, not even looking at the basket. You have four seconds left. Like, you need to figure this out. Also, there has there should be a contingency plan there. That is, give it to Joe Johnson. But if LeBron's guarding him, for God's sake, someone else get the ball away from him. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, say what you will about LeBron, he's not known as Captain Hustle, but he's a big dude. Yeah. And that's not somebody you want guarding you at and, the end of the game right And now. also,
1: any call in that situation is probably going to go against you. Yeah, exactly.
2: Not, I mean, yeah. he smacks Paul Pierce on the hand, and they didn't catch that initially. Yeah. So it should have been pretty obvious. It happened right in front of the referee. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it just seemed like... I don't want to call it poor coaching because I think in some ways Jason Kidd's starting to figure it out. But that situation, I think, was poorly coached at best. I yeah. mean,
1: Well, I mean, it's a, it's a learning thing. I mean, it, the fact that Nets made it that far. I mean, what's funny about, again, you talk about the conferences with the East being a little bit weaker than the West. A lot weaker. A lot weaker than the West. Uh, you know, Jason Kidd, they were down and out on him. About midseason, yeah, it was Mid- looking like a midseason firing yeah. <laughs> in the first season, and uh, you know he, he really pulled it back. But I want to talk a little bit about that, the end of that Heat Clippers game because that was just awesome what happened there, and with with crazy crazy stuff going on. First off, you had um, you had the the fa- the foul not a foul, yeah, with, with what we just talked about with Reggie Jackson. So they inbound the ball, and uh, they take it down the court, give it to Westbrook. And Westbrook takes a three and gets fouled by Chris Paul. Uh, Chris Paul, who on the last series, could do no wrong guarding Stephen Curry. And by that, I mean he wasn't going to get called for a foul. Because he was all over Stephen Curry that entire series in an absurd way. It was like if you or I tried to guard Stephen Curry... And like we're just like, no, <laughs> yeah. wait, this guy here just grabbing his
2: jersey. Just grabbing onto anything, yeah. just trying to hold him <laughs> back. Just like, back. That's I don't know what
1: to do. <laughs> that's what Chris Ball is basically yeah. doing. So, um, so that's big. I mean, you get, you get to shoot three. I mean, it would have been it would have been bigger if he had hit the three. Oh, but yeah. He, he didn't hit it. So Westbrook hits hits all three uh uh you know foul shots. Clippers come down, miss it. Uh heat take it back or he, sorry, Thunder take it back, score. Uh Clippers get one more chance at it. Uh, Chris Paul gets the ball, drives down, and gets it stripped at the end. Uh, I think by probably by Surge. I would assume it'd be somebody like Serge. stripping yeah. on. Or maybe it's. Uh, actually, no, I saw uh, Cephalosha was in the mix there, too. But um, So, yeah, it was like a flip flop from uh, game four where, where the Thunder were up the entire game and blew it in the last minute. And now it was the, the, the other way where the clips were up the entire time. And blew it. So, I, I, I think that's exciting. I think yeah. you're right. I think you're seeing the most exciting basketball in that series. I just think the Thunder and the Clippers are such dynamic teams with awesome personalities on both. Yeah. That's just, just so much fun to watch. Great fan bases both ways and in different, in different ways. Right. You got uh, the Thunder who are incredibly loyal but humble fans, I think. They'll get loud when they want to, but there's not there's not like a, a, a loud mouth guy per se on the Thunder. Right. in their fan base. But then you got the Clippers. who they're, they're, Listen, they're in L.A. Right. But they're so a little humble, too, because they've just been in the shadow of the Lakers for, for so long. Ever. <laughs> well, forever. I think so long. Yeah, forever. Um, but yet, the, the teams are just so much fun to watch. So yeah. much fun to watch. So it's I, I'm glad. I mean, it's giving me heartache uh, because uh, my curse is still true. Because <laughs> I watched that Game 4 game from start to end, and they blew it. Right. And you can see it coming. I mean, it's oh, going work yeah. by like 22, 22 points in the first, in the first quarter. And then to come back and lose that in the last minute of the fourth, that, that, that's, that's a long way to come yeah, back and fall.
2: That's a rough loss that you don't
1: want. Yeah. So of course, last, and then game five, I didn't watch and they went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, I know, it's, well, why
2: it's... can't I just
1: watch <laughs> a game and enjoy it? Why can't I just
2: watch a game and enjoy it? tonight's going to be interesting because it's two game sixes. Both teams that are down are at home yep. trying to force a game seven. I mean, I... Looking at both, looking at both games, I honestly think, I think Wizards Pacers is 100% going to a game seven, because in the last game the Wizards looked like they finally kind of picked it back up. Hopefully that'll continue tonight, especially coming back home. I think it'll be good for them. Clippers seem to be playing well at home, so I think it's going to be a tough one for the Thunder, especially with how close these last couple games have been. Yeah. I yeah. think that home field, that home court advantage, is going to be enough to give them the boost. Right. So I. I don't know. I think we may be looking at a couple game sevens this weekend. Yeah, which, well, it'll uh, be pretty exciting. It stuff. will be exciting, and, and you know, uh, as I mentioned before, my my
1: future father in law is a Thunder uh, season ticket holder. Yeah. and he's coming in tonight, so maybe he'll bring I don't know something with him, <laughs> some, some kind yeah, of magic, some <laughs> kind of magic with him, and uh, you know, w- you know, helps the the, the Wizards win tonight. Because
2: I, you know, I I listen, I'm fully on that bandwagon in the East. Yeah, and uh, as much as I think. A lot of people want to see Pacers heat. I really want to see Wizards heat. I, you know, I think I think the Heat sweep the Pacers if that happens. I agree. I yeah. think the, I think the Pacers are just. I mean, they're they're getting they're getting the job done occasionally, but they're not going to be able to do this against yeah. the Heat by any yeah.
1: means. And what was great about that game five is um, the the uh, Wizards really didn't get much out of John Wall. He picked it up towards the end, but they got um, most of their play out of. Uh, Oh my God! The tall
2: white guy, Marcin Gortat. Gortat, thank you. Yeah, he
1: played hot, man. Like thirty-two yeah. points
2: or yeah. thirty-eight points. What did he he said after it. the game that he felt immortal. <laughs> <laughs> he was like during the game. He's like, I just couldn't miss. I felt immortal. <laughs> um, he's, he's coming on as a personality. There,
1: there was a big article that came out uh, around here in the uh, I don't know if it was the Post or some other local blog about John Wall and um, how he's been. You know, he's been kind of criticized a little bit in the series of kind of slacking off. It's hard to criticize the Wizards I think though in the position that they're in but right. that's just my personal opinion. They're doing what they can. But uh John Wall kind of changed his his outlook and kind of his like pre-game prep and uh came out and played a lot better in game 6. So well, I think and, when... But what the funny thing about Gortat in that situation is uh John Wall the part of it was that he didn't want to talk to anybody Yeah. and Gortat forced him to talk to him <laughs> and it was just funny the conversation <laughs> they had like between the two of them.
2: I can only imagine this huge, tall, like, Eastern European guy, little John Wall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting. If, if the Wizards are able to pull out the next two games, if they are if they go into a series against the Heat, the, the thing that people forget, too, is that the Wizards have played two of the best defensive teams in the league in the mm-hmm. first two series. So, yep. you know, they're coming out, they're scoring some serious points against good defensive teams like the Pacers and the Bulls. And the Heat aren't exactly known for <laughs> stingy defense. So... right. I mean, it could just be lights out shooting fest. Yeah,
1: well, and the series isn't over yet, so you don't don't want to put the cart before the horse. Oh yeah, but definitely not. But I'm just those, hoping. That yeah, it gets that oh part. yeah, and, but there's also one of those crazy stats that the Wizards have swept the Heat this year. Yeah, so true. I, I mean, the playoffs are completely different. Yeah,
2: I mean, so the yeah. the Nets swept the Heat too. So
1: yeah, <laughs> that's a yeah. That was the, that was exactly that's the, <laughs> that's counter, the... the counter argument to it. Well, while we're on, uh, on on basketball and talking about the Clippers, we've we got to talk about Donald Sterling. Finally, a little bit off of the
2: racist comments, Gosh, just a pure... Just, just idiot. Idiot. Just <laughs> idiot. I mean, I've... Like, some... All right. He was already in a bad spot going into this Anderson Cooper interview. He somehow came out of it worse. Yep. Like, I, I didn't even think that was possible. Like, you go from being possibly the most hated person in America right now... To being definitely the most hated person in America right now. Like, you're living in the same country as George Zimmerman, and people have forgotten about him. They're on to you now. They're yeah. like, whatever that guy does, don't give a shit. But you. I mean, he just kept, He just does not. I, he just is obviously oblivious to everything that's going on. I don't know if it's because he's 80 and he's senile at this point. Maybe he needs to be in a home. I don't know. But there were some incredible, incredible quotes throughout that thing one of the one of the things we talked about so almost to start it off he uh he's talking to anderson cooper and anderson cooper's kind of you know like oh you know why how did this happen and so he offhandedly says something along the lines of like well anderson have you ever liked a girl and it's like how oblivious are you i mean anderson cooper everyone knows he's gay i mean like so obviously no yeah (laughs) i mean that's That's where we're at on that one. So we'll just go ahead and clear that up. Yeah. (laughs) And then one of the things that I absolutely loved was him just going after Magic Johnson. Like, oh, what has Magic Johnson ever done? Get AIDS? Like, oh, he goes and sleeps around with all these women. What kind of role model is he? Uh, Hey, buddy, you got recorded by this girl that is your girlfriend, like, openly your girlfriend, and you're married. Yeah. So I don't really think you can take the moral high ground here. Like, you're openly cheating on your wife. Like that's not even you cannot do this. And and it's clearly I mean I'm not going to call her a hooker per se, but she's obviously only dating him for his money. So Oh, she
1: wants and she wants to start to be famous. She wants
2: to be famous for being famous.
1: Yeah. Like the whole visor thing that she's pulling, oh the God. color coat like color
2: matching visor You it's- saw that she Got in a car accident while wearing that visor, right? No. Yeah, she was I driving, that one. driving her Ferrari. It wasn't bad. She was like bumped into somebody, but uh, yeah, she was, and she was wearing the visor at the time,
1: which is Shuck. stupid because everybody has seen her.
2: Whatever. Yeah, I guess like maybe now, hang out with Daft Punk or something. Yeah, I don't Yeah, well now too, it's like, oh, I don't want people. To like notice me, so I'm gonna wear this dumb fucking visor. That's color. That, that's <laughs> like, color matching that, my outfit. Yeah. That everyone knows you for wearing that visor. So now it's even more noticeable. Like, well, and that just goes in. She wants to be famous for being famous. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's an idiot. But uh, <laughs> there was so many, so many classic yeah. things well, in there. This is one of those great moments
1: in, in the American society where that everybody's just all against Donald Sterling, and you, and you see little bits and pieces. I watch the Today Show every morning. And go back to the Magic Johnson thing. They talked about Donald Sterling's comments. And the whole other thing was, like, all the awesome things that Magic Johnson does. Oh, yeah. He has, like... Do you know he's raised, like, a billion dollars? Literally. I'm not saying that, like, as just, like, a number. No. He has raised a billion dollars to help inner-city youth.
2: Yeah. A billion! And Donald Sterling had the gall to say that he doesn't give... That Magic Johnson doesn't give back to the African-American community. Yeah! Uh, And one of my favorite parts of this is... So Anderson Cooper's kind of pressing him on this point, like, oh, so are you saying that African-Americans in general don't give back to their own community? And Donald Sterling is about to bite, and he is about to go on another racist rant. You can just hear it coming out of his mouth. And then halfway through, he's like, uh, well, that's just not the point. <laughs> and you're like, you were literally about to do it again with a camera <laughs> on that you knew was there. Like, you were and so... You know what this is about. Yeah, yeah. you were so <laughs> stupid. Like... If there's anything that can be learned as a positive from this, it's that, kids, you can be really, really dumb and still be a billionaire. Yep. <laughs> because this guy, I mean, he must have, like, a rock and a half for a brain. And he's got billions of dollars. So clearly you don't need to be intelligent to make money. Yeah. And it's just, oh, the
1: whole thing is unbelievable. Uh, you know, I, and what's sad is I think it kind of spreads to his wife because I, I think we talked about this in other shows. The fact that she thinks that she's going to be able to keep that
2: team under the Sterling name is, is absurd. And so here, the newest thing that came out today is that she's already signed the papers to file a divorce. So obviously her intention is that she's going to try to file the divorce and get control of the team. But the problem is, I mean, she—I know she's thought this out a little bit, but not well enough. Anytime somebody gets divorced, this happened with, uh, I believe, the McCords with the Dodgers a couple years, yeah. Whenever it goes into a divorce, everything goes into like this weird holding pattern and they have to deal with it in the divorce court. And so maybe they're trying to slow it down, but that's a really bad idea. Like at this point, you've already, you're already lowering the value of your team somehow, Mm -hmm. which is shocking because your team, this is the best the Clippers have ever been. Yeah. So might as well just sell now, just get it over with, get your money and get out. Yeah. Like, you're you're only if you try to file this divorce, if you try to continue to hang on, you're gonna lose more and more advertisers and it's just gonna get worse and worse. And you really you're, you're gonna lose players yeah. too, because that I mean that's one of the biggest assets you have. So if you have any of these players that are coming up on contract, you honestly think they're gonna try to come back to the clippers. Yeah. No. And some of them are probably gonna demand trades in the offseason. Yeah.
1: And if you really care about the team, I mean some of these names that are popping up as buyers. We talk again, we I know we did talk about this. Let it go, man. It'd be awesome to have yeah. the Clippers owned by Oprah well, or, or some of those boxers we talked about or, the, or Frankie Munez. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> Frankie, if yeah. you guys haven't heard, Frankie Munez yeah. from uh, Malcolm in the Middle is in a group that's uh, planning on buying the Clippers possibly. So, Well,
2: the thing to me for the Clippers is they got this good with Donald Sterling somehow because, I mean, it's proven that in the past that he's just a horrific owner and he's never done anything positive for the team. So – Give them an owner that actually cares. Oh my God, they they literally could surpass the Lakers. Yeah. I mean, if you put Magic Johnson in charge, I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. sky's the limit for them. But Magic
1: Johnson, I don't think that's going to happen though. The fe- just his history as a Laker, and with all the controversy, it'd be so going overboard the other way. Yeah. To to recorrect, and I don't know how that decision gets made. Do the other owners let you buy, or is there like a controlling group within the the team that lets you buy like like i don't know how you sell and own a, a team per se i don't know oh, that right. process but i'm just saying i don't understand that process yeah, yeah. Uh, so somebody has to approve it you're giving money right you're buying so I mean, somebody is taking your money so who in, in improving that sale right so who does that the nba so it is the nba so it's all yeah. the owners it yeah. is all the owners that come and in and the commissioner so, mostly and the commissioner okay I just don't think it would go to. I don't think it would go to Magic. I, 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 apparently, he's not interested anymore, or or ever really was.
2: Yeah, maybe not. Who
1: knows? He might come out of the woodwork. I mean, he,
2: but maybe it, maybe he's going to join up with the money team. Maybe it's going to be the Magic Money team. I don't know. Magic Johnson and Magic <laughs> Munez <laughs> and, and Magic Money Mayweather. Magic, money Mayweather. <laughs> magic Munez Mayweather.
1: All right. Well, I mean, it's definitely something fun to follow. Yeah. Uh, So uh, speaking of following and following up, we had our draft special, and and now the draft is over. All
2: seven beautiful rounds of it. (laughs) I I honestly think I watched 70% of it. No lie. I I just couldn't stop. (laughs) On Friday night, sat down, watched most of the second round. I think I missed the third. Then Saturday, I'm like, well, time to turn the draft on. Noon, just crushed through third through seventh round, went to the gym, watched it on the TV in the <laughs> gym. <laughs> at one point, I was borderline disgusted with myself that I'd actually sat there for that many hours and watched roughly six of the seven rounds of the draft. Yeah, But, I, you know, it was interesting. There was To me, there was some surprises, some non-surprises. Um, one of the things for me, I'm going to homer for a second here, I was a little perturbed at how late a lot of the Baylor players were going. I think our first pick was in the Fourth round, fifth that was round, fifth round? Yeah. Cyril Richardson uh, going to Buffalo. Then you had Lake Seastrunk. Not until the sixth, which he was on. He was on Mel Kuyper's. He was number two on Mel Kuyper's best available for about two and a half rounds. You know, I mean, it's and today NFL.com published a thing of you know the five steals of the draft per division. NFC East. One of them was Lake Seastrunk to the Redskins. The other was Ahmad Dixon to the Cowboys. And, you know, obviously for me, being a Baylor guy and a Cowboys fan, Lake Seastrunk to the Redskins was my nightmare. Yep. So thank God for Ahmad Dixon to the Cowboys to kind of balance that out. he's your second boy on there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and we actually, they signed two others undrafted right after that, our tight end and one of our running backs, they signed to the Cowboys as well. So it should be interesting to see, but, you know, there was a lot of interesting stuff. One of the – one of the surprises-ish to me was A.J. McCarron. Um, I felt like he fell a little farther. Apparently, he came across as very cocky in his interviews, and teams didn't really like that. Well, he came across cocky during the draft, too. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But, you know, I as much as I maybe don't want to side with A.J. McCarron on this one, <clears throat> you know... I'm pretty sure he was the only quarterback that won two national championships in that draft. So I understand he's at Alabama, but, you know, the kid won more than any other quarterback in that group. And you got to, if you're him and you see, you're like, okay, Blake Bortles, a kid from central Florida that pretty much burst on the scene this year and won a bowl game, gets the third pick, and I don't go until the fifth round and I'm one of the winningest quarterbacks in NCAA history. Like that, I, I can see where that can rub you the wrong way. But, yeah, I mean, that was interesting. As much as the draft seemed to hate Baylor players, it seemed to hate SEC quarterbacks more because they just – I mean, A.J. McCarron was, I believe, the first SEC quarterback taken because it was A.J. – oh, I guess Manziel. Sorry. I always forget that they're in SEC still. Um, But, yeah, past Manziel, the next one was McCarron. Then it was suddenly Aaron Murray, I think the pick after, and then Zach Mettenberger a few picks after that. Yeah. But yeah, those three—they were sitting on the best available list for several, several rounds. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, there was there was definitely some picks that slipped, some that went higher than you would think. Um, but I don't know. I mean, one of the, one of the interesting things to follow too was the this is the completion of the RG three trade. Right. So, obviously, twenty twelve Redskins, they moved up what six spots. To pick rg3 it wasn't very much yeah it wasn't much but it's yeah but they gave up about six picks to do it and so now all those picks have finally come through and i mean this has been a big question everywhere it's you know who won this trade right and so this kind of we we thought this was interesting because this kind of goes back to the herschel walker thing because yeah. i think in 10 years this could even be a bigger deal than it is now because Obviously, a lot of these guys, we don't know where they're going to be yet as far as the the Rams are concerned. But here's what here's the picks that they picked up through this trade. A guy named Michael Brockers, not really familiar with him. Janoris Jenkins was a big pickup. He's been huge for them. Great corner. Isaiah P, the running back, he's been very good for them. Uh, the, there's an offensive guard here, Rakevious Watkins. They already released him. Alec Oldgoldtree, I believe – I'm not sure what position he is. I cannot remember then there's Stedman Bailey, who's also a great wide receiver, although I believe suspended currently for mm. violating league substance policy. Uh, running back Zach Stacy, who was actually a big pickup. He was huge last well, year. Well, I
1: mean, they need, they need, Zach Stacy would need to replace Steven Jackson after Jackson went to the Falcons. Right. And, um, yeah, he actually played above and beyond what anybody expected last year. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. And then, of course, the number two pick this year, Greg Robinson, uh, you know, obviously that one, we don't know anything about that as far as what he's going to do in the NFL. But as of right now, it seems like a pretty solid pick. So, I mean, just looking at that list, it seems like they did pretty well out of that. I mean, you know, whether they can actually turn it around and create a solid team from it will be interesting to see. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's tough. <clears throat> um, with RG3 so far, I mean, this is his third year. This is going to be if you compare him to Cam Newton, obviously Cam Newton also had that amazing first year, just burst out of the gates. Second year, had the sophomore slump. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then obviously last year, seemed to really get it back on track. We'll see if RG3 can do it again this year. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody, I think it was Chris Cooley had been working out with him in the off season and said that he looks even better than he did before his rookie season started so far. He's even faster, stronger, everything. So... I, don't know, I mean, I think that's reason for Skins fans to get excited, but we'll see if he can keep that knee healthy. Yeah. But, you know, as far as Rams picks, obviously one was the most notable out of this draft pick, this draft, and that was Michael Sam. Yeah. And that's, obviously that's gotten, that's been sitting just behind Johnny Manziel yes. and most talked about on ESPN. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was kind of an interesting, interesting situation in general. I mean, Obviously, it's it's a big step for the gay community. Um, it was a lot of... The, the video coverage definitely drew a lot of ire from a lot of people afterward. You know, him kissing his boyfriend multiple times. Uh, so I'll, I'll give my opinion on that. I had no problem with it, although I thought the ESPN coverage, I'm like, okay, like we get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, at a point, you don't need to keep showing it. Like, yeah. I, I, the way I put it was... If it was if they had done this with AJ McCarron and it's like him making out with Catherine Webb and shoving cake in her face, still everybody would be like, "Okay, get it. it. That's yeah. enough. Like, you don't need to show this anymore."
1: Well, didn't you tell me that they actually sent footage to a gay sports bar? Or not footage? They sent yeah, that uh, was a camera
2: an, crew. There was a camera crew in a yeah. West Hollywood uh, gay sports bar, and they were like covering the scene there. I'm like, "Come on, guys, this is just getting a little outrageous." Yeah. And
1: I mean the best way to accept it is to, is to treat it as normal, and yeah. it is kind of sad to see that it was so blown up. I'm, I, I just, I are on the same page with this. As I think a lot of people of our generation, I'm excited for it. I think it, you know, there's, it, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, gay, gay athletes, you know, coming into pro sports, and and I totally encourage it. And Michael Sam is definitely opening up the door for a lot of gay athletes in the future um you just had that kid from um umass umass that came out too for, for basketball it was pretty pretty good player so you know I, I think it's it really is opening doors and it's great but the the, the espn coverage of it was just absurd and then the, because of the way they covered it they allowed a lot of trolls and a lot of comments to come in on yeah. it which you know just perpetuated the problem and just kept going and going and going uh, you know, just let it go. Yeah. Like, it, you know, what Michael Sam's a football player now, and and now you know now he's on the team. However, as Justin and I uh, were talking about today, Michael Sam has now come back around and is now not helping his own case. Yeah, I, when I, it comes to his persona in the public.
2: Yeah. It got announced today that he's going to have his own reality show through the Oprah Winfrey Network which, I mean, that kind of opens itself up to plenty of jokes on its own, but we'll leave that alone.
0: Yeah.
2: But ultimately, you know, he just yesterday was in a press conference with the Rams, and all he can talk about is he's ready to focus on football. He's ready to focus on football. You know what? When you sign these deals with reality TV shows to film you and all this stuff, that does not show me you're ready to focus on football. Right. And, I mean, there is, there's the side of it that, I mean – he's smart business-wise in order to, you know, secure as much money as he can right now because, yeah, who knows? Maybe he's, he's not going to make the team. He's a seventh-round pick yeah. on a
1: tough defensive team. I mean, that, yeah. that, that 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 Rams line is stacked.
2: So, you know, my thing is don't, don't sit there and lie to my face and say, oh, it's all about football. It's all about football because it's not. It's not yeah. all about football at this point. I mean, you're making it into something else that it's not. And there was one other issue I had with some of the draft coverage and there were some people that said, "Oh, you know, well, you can't really blame him for showing for ESPN showing like just so much coverage after he got picked, like so much in-home video, whatever." Actually, you can because he had a deal with ESPN saying like I don't want you to show any coverage of me in my house before I get picked. So, he that means he had the choice of saying like once I do get picked, you can only show X. Right. But he didn't. And I mean, it seemed like a lot of that was just super staged. And it, I think that's what rubs me the wrong way is it's just like, it's getting so blown out of proportion. And you know, one thing we talked about too was whether, and Craig and I have disagreed on this somewhat, but whether him coming out as gay actually hurt his draft stock and whether he would have gone higher if he had not come out. And I, my, to me, it's a, a very solid no. I don't think he would have gone any higher. A lot of people are harping on this, oh, he was SEC Defensive Player of the Year. <sighs> Obviously, that means nothing. We talked about in the draft special that there's what you did in college, and then there's what NFL scouts look for. And those are two completely separate things. Because, yeah. I mean, I was looking at a list, and yeah, there are some pretty big names in SEC Player of the Year, but there's one specifically that stands out to me, and it's David Pollock. And the most significant thing he's done since being SEC Defensive Player of the Year is get on College Game Day. So <laughs> you know it's yeah. you're not it. It's not always I, that l- indicative. L- listen, I mean, I'm
1: not. Yeah, and what I'm and what I'm saying too is I'm not saying Michael Sam should have been a first round. Oh pick. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it just seems like everything was downhill for him. But and, and part of it was his fault because the, the combines in there. That's all him, and we'll get to that yeah. in a second. But they were projecting him originally, like after the SEC game. It, it actually during the whole season with him, and then the SEC game, and then him coming out, like in that kind of period. Oh, he's like around like a like a three or a four round guy. Uh, and then as everything went, you know, went on and, and and all the coverage came up about about you know him being gay. Then it went into like his workouts, and then to the combine, and then to his pro day, and it just dropped so far. That what I'm thinking is, with, with this whole like media complex uh, uh, system, with like ESPN really uh, ruling the messaging that gets out there, I, I'm not trying to be a conspira- conspiracy theorist, don't get me wrong here, but with all the hesitation and all the scrutiny on him and his position, you know, obviously first rounders get a lot of scrutiny, but with him on the back end getting the scrutiny, I can't help but feel that that hurt his stock more. Plus, there there was already the added pressure, of PR because as soon as he becomes a Ram, that's all the you know the Rams PR team having to control what he says, who he meets with, and what the messaging is. Right. So I understand that 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 could help. That just from a business standpoint, that could drop his stock a lot because it's like, listen, we're gonna have to put in a lot of money yeah. with this kid, no matter what, whether he makes the team or not. But even while he's in camp. You can't tell me that it's, you know, pe- reporters are going to be hovering over him and maybe not even Greg Robinson.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, well, like, and that's Jordan basically Camp. what happened. I mean, you know, they brought out all the picks yesterday, and I mean, I didn't watch the entire press conference, but I'd be willing to bet that Michael Sam got twice as many questions as any of the first-rounders. Yeah. And, I mean, that's kind of crazy, but, you know, one of the things that people seem to be missing whenever they talk about whether his draft stock was hurt, I mean... His combine was nothing short of disappointing at best. Yeah, I mean, and, I,
1: and I agree with that, because that's you can't disprove that.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you look at, too, the way, that, the way that players are drafted in the NFL, and they mentioned this when they were talking on the draft. I can't remember if it was before or after he got drafted, but they talked about that the NFL scouts, especially once you get past the first or second round, it no longer becomes about what you did in college. They don't care anymore. They want to see how big you are they want to see how fast you can run they want to see how high you can jump how strong you are and from there they determine if they can mold you into the player that they want you to be well the problem for Michael Sam is he he's got drafted as a defensive end and he's pretty small for that position i mean he's 6'2" 260 which that's it's kind of a i mean that's kind of a rough size to be i mean that's kind of short and actually kind of heavy to be playing that position i mean if you're look, looking right now, I'm looking at Jadavian Clowney, another defensive end. Obviously, the number one pick. He's six six. He's only, but he's only five pounds heavier than Michael Sam is. Yeah, but
1: he's got four inches. Yeah, he's him. got
2: four inches. Yeah. And you look at one of the things I looked at specifically were obviously his forty. So Michael Sam's forty was a four nine one. Jadavian Clowney's was a four five three. Then you look at uh, the vertical jump. This one's the big one to me. Vertical jump for Jadavian Clowney thirty seven and a half inches. For Michael Sam, 25-and-a-half.
1: And, and, you know, that's... in a vertical jump, uh, I get, is a big thing, especially for defensive ends. Oh, that's, huge. While, I mean, that's while you're not jumping passes. straight up for your position, that all shows your, your leg strength. Right. And that is so big for the defensive end. on pushing off of that line with the ball snap.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. he... And as far as strength, I mean, he only... He did 17 reps on bench. That's not great for a guy his size. Like, he should be in the 20s easily. So, you know, a little concerning that he wasn't able to really wasn't able to really get anything going there and there's also there's one other piece of this that I I always find ironic. So whether him coming out hurt his draft stock or not, I don't think him being gay hurt his draft stock. I think the media attention that will immediately come from him being drafted and him being gay is what hurts his draft stock. Mm-hmm. So isn't that like the irony of all ironies is that the media is harping on Like teams need to draft him, and or that he should be drafted, and he shouldn't be hurt by his like his sexuality. But the media is actually the one hurting him.
1: Yeah, because the,
2: the teams like I honestly team NFL is a business, so the NFL any team really they don't give a shit if you're gay, bi, straight, whatever. They've got guys that are straight up criminals. But if you are going to be if you are going to make more money then you are going to cause problems. They will bring you in, but they're going to look at all this media attention as a problem. The same thing was that that's the same thing that haunted Tim Tebow on the opposite end of things. You know, Tim Tebow, so super religious that all like the entire religious, right. Always wanted to know everything about him. So where some teams may have considered taking him and bringing him in as a third string quarterback, why would you at this point? Like, the media circus that follows is not worth the minute ability that he might give you. Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's exactly where they're looking at it. It's just—I don't know. It's really ironic when you look at it. Um. Oh, so to compare, this is one that I thought was interesting. Uh, I believe this kid got drafted by the Eagles. Actually, Pat O'Donnell, the punter from Miami. Okay. So to compare him to Michael I don't Sam, think,
1: uh, the Eagles. Look- Eagles took all defensive guys uh, and two they may have wide they receivers. may have signed him I think okay
2: uh but so punter out of Miami uh, Pat O'Donnell he's 64 220 runs a 4 640 did 23 reps on bench and had a 30 and a half inch vertical <laughs> and he's a punter and yeah. he did everything better than Michael Sam did I mean that's that's not where you want to be yeah. <laughs> you know like you don't wanna be looking down the stat sheet and being like, Oh man, that punter did better than me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of been that's been my issue with him this whole time is just I don't know. He didn't didn't prove it when it counted. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well while we're talking about you, um, you know, these guys going from college to pro and um, helping themselves out. We actually have a pretty cool story about the NCAA helping out. A uh, college football player. So Justin's pulling up the article right now.
2: Yeah, so Uh, this, it came out that there is a player from Boise State, Antoine Turner, and it was kind of, there's a weird in between between the uh, spring semester and the summer semester. So he, for all intents and purposes, was left homeless. Um, His mother, I believe, died when he was younger. His father is just not in the picture. Doesn't really have any family to speak of. I I believe he's from the New Orleans area. Yep, he's from New Orleans, yeah. he was kind of a victim of hurricane Katrina and all this. So it came out that he was going to be homeless and a lot of the Boise state alumni understandably wanted to try to help him out. Yeah. Um, but the school said like, Hey, don't because that's going to be an NCAA violation. Right. And so finally the NCAA, I think the following day said, Oh no, no, you can help it. I, I don't know. If they necessarily are like, Letting them, letting people give him money, but I think they're allowing the school to house him during this time yeah. so that he's not homeless. But I was having this conversation with one of my friends, and I, I was saying how ironic it is that the NCAA finally did the right thing, but it goes against every rule they've ever made, <laughs> and how that is not uncommon. Like. Yeah. Oh, here's the right thing. Oh, but that's against NCAA rules. You know, like, you have players that are stuck in these situations. I remember there was a player from, I believe, either Florida State or Clemson a few years ago that his mom and dad had both died at a fairly young age. He had a brother who was 13. This kid was 20. He's a sophomore in college. Has his brother living with him at college because his brother has nowhere to go, and he's his brother's guardian. And so he has to make – he has to get his brother to school – but also needed to be able to pick him up. and, But because of football practice in the fall, I mean, it was during when he needed to pick his brother up. And for whatever reason, the buses didn't really run where he was going, probably because he lived in a college neighborhood and there's no right. kids over there. So one of the coaches was actually going and picking up his little brother for him. The NCA found out and freaked out about it. And they, you know, they suspended the player and all this stuff. And everybody's like, are you kidding me? This yeah. kid is stuck in an awful situation. And, I,
1: and he's trying to make the best with the talents that he's given.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I,
1: I I think it's great when you hear these stories about these kids getting a chance with with these coaches, and you know these coaches know the know the situation, and they, and they for the most part, I think really do care about their players. Yeah. But the NCAA, I agree with you. This comes steps in
2: and just they just you know, have no they have no understanding. I I honestly think it boils down to this. I think the people that run the NCAA compare what these students are going through to what their college experience is like and unfortunately as very likely like white guys that were from privileged families they literally have no clue what these guys right. are dealing with right. and so the fact that they try to make any kind of comparison and say oh well because i just imagine that mark emerson is his off office somewhere going oh well i didn't have that when i was in college it's like well this is a whole different ball game now you yeah. know i like these kids don't have somebody that can actually put money in there, like a parent that can put money in their account or some of them don't even have parents at this point. And so, you know, you have to take more of a case by case situation. And I mean, honestly, these kids, there's going to be corruption in this, and you're just going to have to let it go. It's the unfortunate reality. I mean, there was an Alabama player that posted a photo of him in front of his new car, which is a brand new Dodge charger. And everybody's like, uh, Hmm. wonder how he got that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know, but that's just kind of the way it goes.
1: You know, he still gets to play.
2: Yeah. As, uh, I I forget who it was. I think it was Barstool pointed out there like, man, Nick Saban does such a good job of recruiting players with rich grandmothers. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) My only only point of caution with this story about, about Antoine Turner at Boise State is he gets a lot more publicity because he's an athlete. I mean, obviously that article that you just had up was on ESPN. But, uh, you know I, I would hope that a well-rounded intelligent scholar would also be offered the same opportunity yeah as well. but and I think it's, it's a great think, point to bring up because of the notoriety and the publicity of the football team. Yeah I'm just saying I hope it's a two-way
0: street.
2: Yeah well I mean it's it's unfortunate too because they, one of the things the NCA says yeah. is oh well we want we want players to be treated exactly like every other student. Well, unfortunately, the way that the rules are written, it actually goes too far the other direction because the student-athletes are not allowed to have any kind of a job at all while they're in college. Right. Whereas other students can get a job and work part-time and try to support themselves. And I understand the reasoning behind the rule because they're concerned that there'll be some corruption where, you know, like Oklahoma, where they had kids working at a car dealership an hour a week and they were making like... $5,000 $5,000 a week or something crazy. Um, and you know, that clearly opens up to corruption, but they have to find some kind of a middle ground. I mean, at least give players the opportunity to work on campus jobs. Yeah. You know, at least something to make some money in the off season or in the summers or whenever they need to. I mean, the fact that they can't work at all, that's what co- that's what opens us up to even more corruption in the end. Cause right. then you create more of a need than there already is, which is crazy somehow. But they, that's what they do. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It, the NCAA is always about 10 years behind the mark on what they need to be doing. It's its absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, but kind of switching gears, one of the things that uh, – this has kind of become an issue this season so far in Major League Baseball is Tommy John surgery. So in the last three years alone, there's been a huge, huge uptick. And – there's been especially some of the bigger names in baseball right now are having to get Tommy John surgery and fairly young guys. It's not hitting older players. I mean, one of the guys most recently was Jose Fernandez. He got, he had to go down, get Tommy John surgery. He's 21 years old. Another one for that was announced last night, Martin Perez for the Rangers. I believe he's 24 having to get Tommy John. Uh, Yvonne Nova from the Yankees having to get Tommy John. I mean, there's Strasburg got it really yeah, young. Strasburg got it when he was about 22, 23. Yeah. I mean, this is happening more and more often in baseball. Um, there was a poll, that, or not a poll, it's a graph that was released on NBC Sports showing the kind of progression and we'll list the numbers from, we'll say, 1997, 1997. There were six. following year, there was eight, 15, then all of a sudden, 26, 25, 29, 43, it kind of middles in the 40s and 50s. Then you get to 2012, and there were 69 Tommy John surgeries that year. 49 last year and already in the middle of May we're at 33 for 2014 that's that's insane I mean they're on pace for almost 90 yeah. this year and so it's kind of now it's bringing about the question of why is this happening um, and one of the things that's been discussed as well technology is a little bit better so we're able to maybe determine smaller tears than we were usually able to do um, but yeah I mean it's crazy I think it's just that Maybe maybe injuries that were previously described as an elbow strain or you know just elbow soreness mm-hmm. is now oh there's a torn UCL we need Tommy John on it
1: yeah
2: um, and I think I don't know I think maybe one other reason that people haven't talked about as much is I think we're seeing a lot of success for these players you know they go out they get Tommy John they come back they're actually as good or sometimes better than they were before so I think it's I, I'm I don't know I remember when I was younger and hearing maybe in the late 90s early 2000s like oh that guy's got to have Tommy John and everybody's kind of thinking oh is his career over now right and now it's like eh, yeah he's out for a year and a half and that really sucks well actually it's now down to like a year at this point but it's not it's not the death sentence that it was looked at before you know I there's actually a kid from my high school Josh Tomlin pitches for the Indians Um, at the end of 2012 he had to get Tommy John surgery he just got called back up this season with the with uh, the major league team and he's doing pretty well. He's two and 0 he's got a low ERA. I mean, he's not hucking the ball, but he never was that kind of a pitcher anyway. Right. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Strasburg seems to be roughly what he was before. I think, and I, I think actually any loss of velocity for him has less to do with the Tommy John surgery and more to do with his coaches being like, yeah, you remember how you were throwing before? Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> because That's what tore your elbow up to yeah, begin with. Cause he yeah. was just whipping the ball. Yeah. So,
1: I, I just uh, Tommy John for me in, in this day and age is I agree with you. I think it's I think it's probably smaller um, injuries than we're aware of or privy to. Um, it, but I think it's just like you know what we're, if it's if you have anything wrong, let's just get it done. Yeah, because as we see, it's prolonging guys' careers. Oh, absolutely, it's helping them stay healthier and be more productive. And. Uh, this goes back to our discussion a couple episodes ago about the, you know, the era of the pitcher. I think Tommy John has a lot to do with it. You know, that's why I think you're seeing a lot of home runs and, you know, high scoring games down, and a lot of these guys pitching deep into the games, pitching sometimes no hitters deep into games, yeah, because they've been worked on and they're, you know, they're they're healed and they're 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 more productive internally you know with their arm mechanics than they were before yeah and obviously it's a revolutionary uh, surgery I mean well, by now it's not revolutionary it's I think it's now a, a known entity you're going to get if you're a pitcher and you're going to be a pitcher in the major league level you're going to get Tommy John surgery and just be ready for it and hope it happens sooner than later
2: well and one thing I, I've said this before about Tommy John and I think it's interesting and I think it's an underrated piece that actually helps pitchers out it's one of the few injuries surgeries where you're out for a year year and a half and what ends up really happening there too is you actually you give your shoulder a nice little break i mean you think about these guys have been pitching since what they were 12 years old right so when was the last time they went a year without throwing a ball full speed yep and they're finally giving their shoulder a break yeah that's
1: a good point too i mean and i think that helps yeah. them
2: maybe rebuild a little bit strengthen up a little bit um and maybe actually, you know, kind of work out other things cuz these guys obviously they still cool. want to be in the gym, they still want to be working out. So maybe they're focusing more on leg stuff. Maybe they're doing more cardio, getting in better shape all around when they can't just use yeah, their arm. And, and legs
1: work. are one of those forgotten entities with pitching. I mean, yeah. you got to push off of that uh the uh pitching mound off the rubber really hard a lot of a lot of times to get that velocity.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think there's I think it's kind of an interesting concept and I don't know. I, we'll see and I will say, I think that there's an advantage to guys that, that have the surgery closer to the end of a season. So, you know, the guys that maybe have to have it in August, September, because now that they've kind of narrowed it down to a year, if you tear it in August and September, most teams are not going to try to bring you back the following season. They're just going to let you sit out the whole next season and wait until spring training the next year. So they end up getting basically an extra six months because, you know, we looked at we all saw Steven Strasburg when he came back. Came back kind of mid-season, and then they capped him on innings. Yeah, and you know, I I think that's okay. And that ultimately,
1: I think hurt them.
2: Yeah, uh, I th- I
1: think that I think that playoff series might have still gone the same way. Yeah, but I think they would have had a better shot with Strasburg.
2: Yeah, that I don't know. That was kind of it was very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know. And the the funny part to me was that the the innings number was so arbitrary. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they were just like. I don't even remember. I think it was like 160 innings or 170 or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, where did you get that number? You yeah. know what? What genius was just like, I know 170. <laughs> that is the perfect amount. And like, oh, we're gonna shut him down before the playoffs because another 20 innings could be the problem. Yeah. yeah like, all right. Once he's gone 170, I think 20 will be okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That was that was crazy. But um, yeah. I mean, another a little more interesting thing that happened in baseball with more more talk with, about pitching more, more with tinier baseball <laughs> um Mitch Williams Mitch Williams the wild thing back at it again woo he uh he got in we will call it an altercation but we'll nicely call uh, it a a heated shouting match <laughs> yeah. with a little league umpire in nearby Aberdeen, Maryland. Actually.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, just, I, I, just to give a, a little shout out or whatever, we have a we have another podcast that we listen to called uh, Yeah Dude, which is hysterical. And sometimes they do a segment called Who's Dadding Harder. <laughs> and I think this this story about Mitch fits right in
2: there. Yeah, Mitch is dadding now, right now. Yeah, he's, he's... dadding hard.
1: So uh, there's a little dispute on the baseball field. We'll get into details in a second. But basically. Brought Mitch out to the ump, and Mitch got major league on this ump. I mean, the whole brim, you know, half brim to forehead in his face, just going at it.
2: <laughs> yeah, the pictures are hysterical. If you get a chance, it was on Deadspin. Just search Mitch Williams. Yeah. And it's it, someone was quoted as saying that it was literally a major league, like player versus umpire argument. In a 10-and-under game. <laughs> yeah. And one of the funnier things, too, to me is that they said this is not the first time this has happened. And that while coaching his girls' softball team, yeah. he also had been ejected from games before. But, but the, what, Gotta love it, though. I mean, always a competitor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Like> just <Well. laughs> to his dying day. If you
1: want to talk about pitching mechanics, any of you guys out there who are a little younger, go back and watch the 93 Phillies and watch Mitch Williams pitch. He would fall off the mound. He would just put everything into that throw as the closer for the Phillies, and he would slide off the mound. It was he would end up on the grass after his pitching motion. It was was crazy. Um, So Mitch Mitch responds to a critic with a like lengthy text chain, like one of these things, like Like a tweet chain. Yeah, he doesn't know how Twitter works, so you got to be succinct. Yeah, but he like just goes on and on. Turns out though. With uh, re- hearing some of the uh, reports from the tournament he was in, he kind of was in the right. He just went a little bit over top with arguing. But yeah. he
2: kind of... That the, um, he claims that the umpire basically called him out for no apparent reason. Yeah,
1: said he wanted to fight.
2: Yeah, and yeah, threatened him. And then so, apparently, Mitch Williams came down and offered to oblige him in this fight. And also, if you look at the pictures of the umpire and you look at the pictures of Mitch Williams... If this umpire did in fact, like, request to fight Mitch Williams, he's an idiot. Yeah. Because like he is in no condition. He's like a tubby old man. Yeah. He is in no condition to be trying I mean, to fight anyone, much less a former major league baseball player. Yeah.
1: I mean, well, Mitch Williams does look like he's in great shape. He he but looks a little bit like Kenny he, Powers right now. Yeah. But But he still. looks
2: he looks like a baseball player in his in his prime compared to this umpire. Yeah. Like this umpire's prime. Saw way too many Long John Silver's platters, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's where he's at now. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it is unbelievable. There, oh, that second picture! That, that is second absolutely picture
1: incredible. is great. He just, he, the else doing. He looks like he's trying to be tough, but he's scared as shit in that <laughs> yeah, picture. Yeah,
2: exactly. Like, like you can almost like. If this was video, I'm positive you could see his lips trembling yeah. because he's clearly scared shitless. So
1: I just think this is hysterical because you, you want to know why. Like with, with with my current situation where my life is going, uh, Catherine and I have often had the conversation about what I would be like as a sports dad.
2: Yeah. So what do you what do you think I would be like? And, and I'll tell you what I think you'd be like. <laughs> I mean, I think that I think for the most part you'd be good, but then there would be the occasional call that would just set you off and you'd be the guy, you know how most Little league dugouts, especially in like the really shitty fields, they don't have like a roof or anything. Right. I imagine you as being the dad that like gets thrown out, and then you just go in and you just start hucking stuff through the fence back <laughs> over <laughs> on the field, just like kids' bats and like their bags are flying everywhere. And then you see that big Gatorade orange cooler come <laughs> flying over, and then just peanuts <laughs> just just scattered <laughs> everywhere. I'll go out to home plate. <laughs> yeah. Get the dirt
1: on it. Yeah. Exactly. Mr. Limeberry's at it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see, you on the other hand, I see you sneaking in a six pack, <laughs> sitting in the stands, getting in a nice little buzz. <laughs> And just like slurring a little bit, <laughs> but saying just like these really rude comments. Yeah. And then when the ump
2: calls you out, i be like, What? i, I
1: won't like say anything.
2: I sit just close enough to someone that could possibly sound like me that I'm like, this asshole yeah, <laughs> guy
1: right
2: here. He's just a dick.
1: <laughs> Taking a swing from another Course. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, mean I scared Sir that t- paper bag's not fooling anyone. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean I, I am scared to death of, of of being in that situation because I am so competitive internally and it, I have the problem of bottling things up so even like during a game of sorry with like my mom and my sister I get so pissed and all of a sudden I'll like let out, a, out like a, a nice little snarky like well you know mom and dad did not even want to have you <laughs> you know like, something like that <laughs> like that you're right i would snap i would I really, I,
2: yeah would. so i can only imagine when you're being third base coach and the opposing team's third baseman standing there yeah. he, something pisses you off and you just look at the kid and you're like your parents don't love you yeah. <laughs> just, like, some pride.
1: Yeah. steps off the base i like call for like the pickoff yeah. <laughs> trip him on his way back yeah. <laughs> Oh, that would be awful. But this—I mean—I just love that it's it's Mitch Williams. (laughs) I I just every couldn't have been a more
2: perfect person.
1: I hear Mitch Williams, and like I said, I just see that throwing motion in my head. Of course, I see Joe Carter walking off, (laughs) which is the other disappointing part. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, (laughs) again, in more lighthearted news, and talking about my wedding, and again, I apologize to you guys if you think I'm talking about too much, but it's really prevalent right now and it's also prevalent with our next topic it is uh our uh a little news story came out this week that a uh wedding couple or wedding in indianapolis was crashed by andrew luck yeah he it, just
2: happened to show up yeah. where this was and so they were taking photos and said hey andrew luck would you like to be in our photos yeah
1: so i'm like hell yeah man
2: <laughs> so i i i
1: uh opened up my big fat mouth on uh social media and i thought i still sick by it um, you know, as I, I pointed out, I'm a huge Eagles fan. I am not a Redskins fan, but I love RG3. Who doesn't? And so I said if RG3 came to our wedding, I would put on full Redskins gear, pad,
2: help, pads, helmet, and all, and take pictures with him. Yeah. I think I, that is perfectly acceptable, and I truly hope that it happens. <laughs> how, am... how how could we
1: make that happen? Uh, he's so, I mean, he's he's so big. You know, like yeah. he's... he's He's a superstar on the NFL level. Like you look right. at a guy like London Fletcher. He's a big name, but he's still kind of like a Redskins guy, like right. Chris Cooley during his prime. Right. But RG three transcends that. I don't know. Like,
2: it's a, I, I mean, I'm just I'm just hoping we can appeal to his Baylorness and yeah, and the fact that he can make an Eagles fan wear an entire Redskins outfit. <laughs> what I really want to happen is, I really want them. I want him to show up. And I want him to make you wear a Redskins Deshaun Jackson jersey. Oh, that would burn. <laughs> I, I think I, I'd have to draw a line and say it'd have to be a Griffin jersey. I'd still be
1: wearing number 10. I know, but it'd be incredible. Ooh, Deshaun would burn. That would, my skin would literally light on fire. Uh, I just think that's, that's awesome. And it gets me thinking like, so if, if you were getting uh, married, Jess, or the day that you do get married, who, who would you just freak out on? Well,
2: I mean, RG three. RG three, yeah. RG three is a definite obvious. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, I was thinking about this the other day. I but think you got to think about opportunity.
1: Like, obviously, they're in Indianapolis. Good opportunity for Andrew Luck here right. in DC. Good opportunity for RG three. So, if you get married
2: in Texas, I think I think it would have to be. Well, I think it's a tie, and they're yeah. two very different people. Uh, one would be Coach Art Briles
1: because Ooh, yeah.
2: he's also just a solid, solid guy. He won around. Uh, sneaky second, though, I think would be Clint Dempsey u.s soccer player also a texas kid because he's from nacogdoches and i'm sure he'll be moving back that direction soon but yeah i think that one would be uh that would be a sneaky second right there yeah
1: i would i mean hey you know if it happens it happens I, i don't i don't know the mechanics of where we're getting married and where rg3 has his life situated in the area and how that would happen and because he'd have to show up for a reason the way we're doing our wedding, like we, yeah. we wouldn't just be we wouldn't just be out and about, and he would just walk up like, "Oh hey, like."
2: Yeah, so if any right. of you have connections to RG three, I mean,
1: <laughs> and you want to embarrass the hell out of a big time Philly Eagles fan, Philadelphia
2: Eagles fan, you have your opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll stick by it. I will uh, stick by it. Uh, to Catherine's chagrin, uh, you will be you'll be taking some wedding photos in Redskins
1: gear, but you know th- there's still the Baylor-ness in it. Oh it yeah. has to
2: be RG three. Like yeah. don't.
1: Don't send me Pierre Garçon. I'll kick him the hell out of the <laughs> yeah, way. Exactly. Like,
2: oh, did you bring those pizzas? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Pierre Garçon had a a, a local promo that uh, uh, just for if you bought if you bought the most Paisanos pizzas, yeah, he would personally deliver them to you at the end of the season. And
2: mind you, during the fall, watching football, this commercial ran almost every commercial break. Yeah. During every football game, yeah. so it, it, if you live in the area and you watched any football, you saw it. At minimum 500 times yeah so yeah you, you those of you in the area know exactly what we're talking about
1: <laughs> but well we're, we're right up on the uh the hour mark so i i, I think this is a, a good time to yeah. sign off do you have any other final thoughts justin uh no not not at all i think i've exhausted all of my thoughts for this week all, these, I'm, all, I'm all done. your thoughts done. Done. well again we, we appreciate you guys tuning in we thank you for tuning in and uh If you're listening and you're enjoying the show, please, you know, please tell your friends, tell your family, post us on, on Facebook, post us on Twitter. Uh, speaking of Twitter, you can always tweet at us at ML absurdity. Um, and also, uh, email us at major league at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I forgot one of the biggest things for this week.
2: We have a new logo. We have an actual logo. An actual logo. <laughs> it's, not, it's no longer the photo that I took at the 2010 playoffs in the Texas Rangers game. Yeah. So yeah, we have a real logo now. It's almost like we're official. Yeah. So...
1: And we want to, I want to thank my good friend Nate for putting that together. Um, uh, he, uh, is an incredible graphic design artist and, uh, Helped us put that together, so yeah, we're really excited about it. it. Does kind of make us a little bit, a yeah. little bit official. Makes
2: it feel like the real deal. Yeah. So,
1: uh, having said that, uh, we're gonna sign up for this week. Uh, remember to uh, get out there and get that Taco Bell breakfast. It's delicious.
0: Boys and girls, London calling. Now don't look to us. Phony Beetlemania is putting the dust. London calling. See, we ain't got no swing. Except for the rain and the of thing. The ice is coming. The sun's zooming in. Meltdown expected. The wheat is good. Engines stop on him, But I have no fear. Cause London is drowning. Coming. the sun's zooming in, engines on it the wheat is going a nuclear error, but I have no fear, cause London is drowning out. It was true London calling at the top of the dial And after all this Won't you give me a smile London calling I never felt so much alike